Welcome back to the School of Calisthenics for another podcast with Tim and Jacko. This week's guest is a handstand extraordinaire. What this guy doesn't know about handstands is not worth knowing, is it, Tim? Absolutely. And he's been a guy that we followed for a long time. We've connected with over social, inspired by what he's doing and the level of, of a master, mastery and competency that he's got, and especially the more ha- advanced handstand skills and how he goes about breaking that down and teaching that to other people is just amazing. So it's a great opportunity to get him on, to share some expertise with you guys that work on handstands. And there's a lot on this one. There's a bit more of his philosophy and some real nice conversation about um, just the learning process and what it's like to be on that journey of learning to do something like a handstand. Yeah, but there's some real t- take away things for you knitted in throughout that and towards the end around types of things you can do for working on your handstand types of length of time you want to be trying to hold certain things for to, just to show that competency and being ready to to move on to the next level and at the end even some tips for me on how i can potentially work on my single arm handstand again which is quite exciting to put some of that into progress and i'm sure lots of you will be as well so sit back and enjoy this is jonathan last on the school of calisthenics podcast hit the jingle so this week on the podcast is a big week welcome jonathan last handstand guru inspirational <laughs> person person of that jacko has been trying to be like for a long time i was gonna say last but not least no, last, actually last is a surname <laughs> yeah it's an absolute pleasure we got jonathan last on welcome to the podcast jonathan Thank you so much for having me, guys. It means a lot. You can tell we are excited. We are excited. I'm We've excited. obviously um, spoken on Instagram quite a bit, and um, it's one of those relationships where you feel like you know someone and that, and that we've, we've sort of become virtual friends. Um, but this is the first time I've actually spoke yeah. in person, so we're excited to... Apart from, like, um, what was it... Uh, Instagram stories to each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we found out that we both have a, an affinity for, for hip-hop and also for cider, <laughs> which I'm, uh, yes, I want to exactly. come to Bristol and go to go on a cider tour of Bristol. <laughs> We've already arranged it, just need to make it happen. Yeah, exactly. That's where all the best ciders at. <laughs> So let's get started. Um, if, if you guys have, have seen Jonathan's um, stuff before, then you'll know what his handstand um, locker looks He's like. Even and it's better is, uh, than Tim. Yeah, which I, am, um, I am su- subordinate <laughs> to this fine master of the handstand. Talk to us a little bit about your background, Jonathan. How did you get into to what you're doing now? Because you've got you've got some um, some incredible sort of diversity of skills in in the locker, and um, it's obviously a journey that's brought you to that point. So tell us a bit about that, and and we'll, we'll um, yeah we'll go from there. So I think. Uh, I originally started with martial arts when I was about nine years old. I really struggled with school. I think a lot of people I've come across who do movement, this kind of stuff are kind of in the same, have the same kind of mindset, but I really struggled with school kind of with dyslexia and like dyscalculus with numbers. So I just, I I had this kind of like probably undiagnosed ADHD for most of my childhood. And I was kind of like always looking for kind of an outlet. So I kind of got into martial arts at the age of nine when my dad (laughs) <laughs> probably a bit young got me fist of fury Bruce Lee when I was like eight or nine years old <laughs> and it kind of started from there so I started martial arts I did that competitively for about 12 years what form of martial arts were you, were you practicing so competitively I did Shotokan karate uh, started that when I was eight or nine around that time and then I trained that for about 10 years but Entwined with that, I kind of did capoeira and Shaolin Kung Fu and judo. My mum was a national judo champion when she was younger. So I oh, kind of yes. wanted to follow in that in that footsteps of doing judo as well. But I didn't really do that to a high level, just did that for a few years. 
Um, My mum was our Kayla. <laughs> probably, probably, probably explains why I'm not as good at, at, at movement. I've got a lot of badges though. Yeah, I can make a fire. My mum used to like, I remember we used to have this little game that whenever I had a birthday party, she used to like, I'd always be a bit cheeky to her, I'd always be a bit rude, and she'd like drop me every year in front of my friends. Like, pull that out. Is not right. At least my mum can't do friends. that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I kind of got into so. martial arts, and then uh, from there kind of transitioned into free running, which I did that for a long time. And then eventually trained in the circus when I was 18. Uh, went to Circomedia, which is one of the, the two schools in the UK that does a degree course, but I actually did it before it was a, de- a degree course. It was only a one year course then. So I trained for a year in the circus and then trained as a professional free runner for a few years, but then I snapped my ACL and like, you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's a bad. big one. And like, one. I had like, um, uh, an operation on my left ankle. So I've got like no dorsiflexion in that. I've got like bone impingement. And I was told at the age of 19, that I had the ankle of a 60 year old. So obviously with all this kind of stuff on my body, kind of, I learned to handstand at Circomedia when I was 18. I went there without a handstand and came out. The kind of rule is when you leave Circomedia, you leave with a relatively good handstand. They just train it so much. Mm. So I came out with like a pretty good 10 second handstand, I'd say carried on training as a free runner and then yeah I snapped my cruciate ligament and I was like all of a sudden my my identity as like Johnny the free runner was just like destroyed (laughs) you know especially when you do it at a high level and you start gaining reputation it's like that uh the podcast when you the last one you're talking to with the we move people just the Mm. uh put your identity in it and you're just like damn what happens when you said like people retire when they're 30, but free running, I was kind of like first generation. So we didn't know about body conditioning or any of this kind of stuff. Mm. And then I got into hand balancing and then had my cruciate ligament repaired, didn't repair properly. So it's, it's kind of attenuated. So it's kind of, it's, it's still hanging on <laughs> just about after I had the operation. And then I've just been training from then on. I trained at drama school for three years and I kind of, started kind of looking into different ways of expressing my movement. I couldn't keep up with the, I couldn't keep up with the big boys in free running anymore. I had to kind of find my own, my own path. So that's kind of the journey I've been on over the last 20 odd years, I guess. So how old are you now? I'm 31. 31. So spring chicken. 18 18 was when you learned to do a handstand. 18 was when I learned to kick up and hold. Yeah, like, I remember there was, this, there was this really funny moment at Circomedia where a juggler learned to do a handstand press before me. And that was huge. Like, everyone, I just got ripped it out of me so bad. Because <laughs> this juggler learned to tuck press before me. And I just, I was like, oh, no. So I really wasn't that good. But I had, like, a basic handstand for about two years before I snapped my ATL, I'd say. Yeah. I'm just trying to give the context to the people that will, yeah, will okay, have yeah, seen sure. you, either know you or will go and check you out and see your handstands now. And it'll be like... Oh, right. Okay. Like, so yeah, I learned handstand when I was 18. Frame. That's when I yeah, started yeah. practicing cool. handstands really, but kind of the minority of my training, I was still doing free running. I was still tumbling. I was still doing most of that kind of stuff. So for how many years would you say you've been doing like, let's call it, I, I want to say hardcore handstands, but whatever, you know, being like real deep into your hand balancing, how, how many years has that been? So it's a really kind of up and down story. So I'd say I learned to one arm handstand for five seconds when I was 21. 
And that's when my ACL kind of was getting recovered. So I was kind of doing free running again. And I was like, man, I've got a straddle one arm. This puts me in a whole different category of free runners. I might not be able to do the stuff I used to be able to do, but I can one arm and not a lot of free runners can do that. So it's like my USP almost, do you know? Mm. Uh, and then I got a digestive condition, which meant I had to kind of stop training for about three years that kind of took me out of training completely. Had a bit of a miracle of that. That got taken care of, got completely sorted with that. And then I started retraining handstands hardcore and deciding that I wanted to go hard at about four years ago. Like okay. really back on it hardcore. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of what you were doing before, cause you, you, the, did the um, the tumbling and the, and the sort of the gymnastic skills that you've got come as a result of the, the sort of the parkour primarily? Or was that a combination of that and um, and what you did at the circus school? Yeah, I think free runners have kind of this reputation of having like being really ballsy, but like their technique being a bit rubbish. So I went to circus media, being able to tumble and backflip and like round off backflips and somersaults. Mm. And the tumbling teacher just looked at me and she's like. Now, mate, <laughs> you're going to just do <laughs> cartwheels and roundoffs for this whole session. And like, right. they just refined my technique. Two of my best friends who I lived with there went on to kind of go on to do like Cirque du Soleil and stuff later on, much mm. down the line. But they were the pinnacle. Sam and Rubin, it's kind of, they did lots of sports acro and they were kind of the pinnacle of getting me good. They, they refined my technique and they were, they were brutal. They were very like, you know, honest with like technique mm. and just telling me what I needed to sort out and fix really. What's your views then on, because um, you've done quite a lot of different stuff and you've obviously got a, a baby now as well. Um, yeah. In terms of, uh, it, it changes things when you start to see the movement process develop and what movement literacy looks like. like you expose yourself to a lot of different movements, which is now giving you a skill set, which is very different to, yeah. to sort of like people who grew up like Jack, like Jack, Jack and I in terms of team sports. We play rugby, mm, so you get rugby, quite good like. at those things. But I wish I could tumble now. Like, and it's it's harder to um, to learn those things. Like, how do you sort of, what's your sort of your context around movement? movement development, movement literacy for, as you go through and, and learning new skills? So I think the, the word that I've always given it is like movement vocabulary. So it's like we, we're trying to, I'm always trying to add on to my movement vocabulary by adding a different skill or a different technique or a different discipline, but trying to get to like a really high level with it. I'm, I'm kind of, I get super obsessive about training and mm. I really go for it. I think uh, the... I, I've tried to really span out my mind with kind of like different types of training and different disciplines and that stuff. But I think I get really obsessive with one thing. So even though I'd still class myself as an acrobat now, I think I really dedicate my time, mostly 90% of my training to handstands. And I think that's the way I want to get really good at one thing. And then when I'm really happy with that, I'll kind of maintain, then move on to a different skill. So that's that's kind mm. of always been the way I've worked. If I want like a tumbling trick, I'll get super obsessive about it until I've got it to a point that I'm really happy. And then I'll maintain, but I'll train something different. And I think it's a really healthy way to keep your training because a lot of people do handstands. Get a kind of like, I don't know, get this obsession with like neatness and one skill and doing it over and over and over again. And I think it can actually take you down quite a, dark path because per perfection can't be obtained it can never be obtained and mm. as soon as you start going i need this move every single time or i need that move every single time i think it can be pretty uh, pretty hard to keep yourself motivated all the time 
We'd like to interrupt this broadcast today to bring you a customer service announcement and we want to tell you how excited we are about the virtual classroom where our online community of amazing people are working together to redefine their impossible and achieve things in calisthenics that they never thought they would be able to, Jacko. Yeah, if you've not thought about it yet, you should really consider uh, becoming a member of the virtual classroom. You become part of that supportive community and you then get access to absolutely every single training program we've got, every workout we do, every challenge, every webinar, and there is specific courses in there for everything from beginners to to handstands and human flags and everything in between you get access to all of it you get to learn at your own pace online with us within the supportive community of people encouraging each other to redefine their impossible guys it's really something special we would love it if you come and check it out and until you do check it out we see you in there let's get back to our regularly scheduled program it's also like a question of uh, why do we? Why do some of us sometimes put that pressure on ourselves? It's yeah. different. I understand if somebody says, "I've got to be able to do it ten times out of ten for this reason," because I'm about to do it in a show tomorrow night, and that's, that's my exactly that's my job, it. and that's my thing. But we have uh, there's a little bit of thing in the fitness space of like that whole. If you want to look uh, a phrase that's been around before of like you want to look like an athlete, you should train like an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've played professional rugby. And my day-to-day life is very different to what it is now. The stresses mm-hmm. and what you can do and how much train, training you can do. I've seen a few props that you play with and I don't want to like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but we, the idea that we can do some... Almost trying to like stick a, um, a, a round peg in a square box or whatever that phrase yeah, is. Yeah, sure. Right you know what I mean? Like, we get the sentiment. So you know what I mean. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> that we're, and it's, but there is then this thing of like... People want. We had someone recently at, um, at the Marbella trip went on, and the things he wanted to work on were like, "I want and I want to be able to do the perfect X and the perfect Y and sure. the perfect yeah. Z." And it was like, "Well, Craigie, what perfect of one of those? Like, how how are even you? You're, not only you, but the, how is he defining what perfect is anyway? And yeah. plus, trying to work on too many things at once. Yeah. I wanted to pick up on the fact that is that how your training looks? Do you? Do you go quite, you have like one, almost like one goal, get that nailed. Yeah. Don't worry about too many other things, get that one thing and then just that little bit of maintenance, but you only really have one yeah. main focus at a time. Is that fair so, or not? Yeah, I think completely. I I used to dive really heavily down the aspect of play and be like, I'm going to play with my handstands. I'm not going to give it a rigid formula or training uh, system or program. And then my, my progress was just really limited because I had nothing to compare it to. I, I, I had no way if it was better than the last one because I had no, had no structure of seeing if there was any form of improvement. So on one arm, so the reason I pro- my progression was so rubbish for the first year is because I was trying all the shapes. I was trying every single one arm shape possible. And so instead of going, right, I'm going to warm up with a, like I do now, I go warm up with a two-handed handstand, do max personal, like uh, max endurance there, then do max endurance on one arm. And then I'll go through straddle and straight and one other shape. And for the last uh, two and a half years, I've been working on three shapes in my training, 90%, just three shapes. And it, I, I play with other shapes, especially if like, someone wants to take a photo or do something a bit more exciting, but I'm really, uh, fanatical, probably in an unhealthy sense, I think. And it probably comes down to what we, what we've spoken about before on like social media, just like chasing perfection. And 
if you look at a circus handstand or a capoeira handstand, a yoga handstand and a gymnastics handstand and put them all, and a calisthenics handstand and put them all in the same room, they're all going to look completely different. Mm. So who, who is to say which one of them is perfect? Um, but for my training, I found that I progressed a lot quicker when I was systematic with my training and putting, putting myself through what I put my students through <laughs> really is it just going right. Why they're doing really well. I'm going to try and do what I'm telling them to do for myself. And that's when I saw the biggest rate of improvement. Really. I think it's a really interesting point you make. I'm kind of putting in the context of what I know about you and can see, mm. see that you can now do. And, and your, um, your description of what you say is perfect and chasing a perfect one on handstand. I look at your handstand and one on handstand, I go, that's flipping perfect. <laughs> like, so, sure, but your, right. like your perception of that is, is just different to what mine is. Yeah. But also that point of going, um, there's, there's, we've, we've spoken against the We Move you guys, the We Move guys. Um, we spoke. I've seen Ido Portal talk about generalism versus specialism, and you've got that general movement literacy. You've been, you've been a generalist in, in what you've mm. done, but to get really, really good at something, you yeah. have to specialize. It, it becomes yeah. a point of you cannot be the best of anything in the world. For, that requires a level of skill where you put that into athletics. Mm. You can't be like, the best athletics, like hundred meter sprinter, and also quite good at cycling and do you know what I mean like so you, yeah. you're, you're at a point where your skill set is such that you need to invest such a mm. time and intention and mm. what's really interesting for me and I'll just let you reflect on, on anything I'm saying um, is around the um, like, so there's some of the research that we've read recently around skill acquisition is around that variability mm. and not block mm. practicing mm. but we find that they sort of suggest that within one session if you block practice you can make quite good gains but over a longer period of time mixing yeah. it up a more variable practice is actually yeah. more beneficial from a skill acquisition process yeah. but I'm not sure that it's as black and white as that no. like block practice feels good because you get to reflect and learn and you're giving yourself context have you got any thoughts on, on that? Oh man I think from a just for your own mental health I think it's really important to branch out and do other things because a lot of, weekly at the circuit media where I, where I coach weekly, I'll get several students coming up to me crying all the time. It's just like, and they're 18, they're 18. Mm. They shouldn't be putting themselves under this mental pressure, but they know in three years time, they're going to be going out in the big wide world. And at the end of three years, they've got to do their final piece, which they tour around the UK and people come and watch them. And, um, they, they get so they get so pent up at being good at one skill that it almost becomes their identity. I am. You spoke about it in the last podcast. I am this person. This is what I do, um, and I think it's really important to vary up and do different things. Which is why I really try and make sure that I still. Tr I think probably for for myself, I try and identify as a as like a mover as opposed to a hand balancer because yeah. I don't want that pressure on me. I just think it's too much extra pressure. As soon as I say I'm a hand balancer, people have this certain expectation as opposed to going, actually, I just, I do movement. Um, yeah, mate, I, I can relate to that. When I first started as a strength and condition coach, I was I brought through some people that I kind of borrowed this philosophy from, and, and um, I always call myself a, I'm a movement coach, and as part of that, I coach strength because there's so many people that are identifying as a strength coach, and when you do that, your job is to get people strong, and, and you would sort of say, well, what about ankle dorsiflexion because that's going to help us to squat lower, and then we go, well, <laughs> the important thing is getting strong, is just turn your feet out, don't worry about that, that's yeah. somebody else's problem. And exactly. I'm like, well, no, we're talking about human movement, um, and that that allows you then to go and play in different spaces because you can be very 
very good and, and you can become expert in a number of different areas that are actually mm-hmm. building the human movement system. Mm. It's not a human strength system, it's the human movement system, yeah, like, which can learn there, which then can exhibit and produce force in a number of different shapes and places and, mm. and contexts. So yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing. And, but I think to, to the, just the, I'll let Jacka jump in a sec with the, um, in terms of very, in terms of your handstand practice, mm. like when you do a training session and when you're working with your students, um, do you tend to block practice together? So say for example, you're going to do a drill, let's for argument's sake, you're going to do um, some, some work against the wall. Mm. Would you do like a kick up wall balance kind of work and then block that together and then move on to the next progression? Or would you kind of go wall, kick up, handstand, then we're going to go and do a crow stand and then we're going to sure. go and do something else? Yeah, so uh, the, the structure of my, my teaching has changed in the last uh, year and a half and it will it will follow always the same same structure depending on the level. So for the advanced students, they will do two-minute max handstand. They'll do uh, uh, one rep on each arm of max, one-arm handstand. And then they'll work through dynamic stuff to build kind of just like, just a bit more like fine-tuning in the control of the shoulder, I guess. Dynamic mm. work is really good for just like uh, solidifying the shape that you need kind of the activation you need in the pec minor in when you're doing the one arm handstand. Uh, so I get into a lot of dynamic stuff like straddle to straight. And then we call it fork, which is kind of like a half straddle shape. It's kind of like this. And they do, uh, they'll do fork to straight. And then they'll, they'll, that whole process going through that can take like 40 minutes going through mm. all the dynamic drills. And then they'll do about 45 minutes of what we call like, artistic shapes or Instagram shapes, which are the ones that look, <laughs> we call them Instagram shapes because they look, they look pretty. And they're the kind of ones that from a performance point of view, they, uh, they need because they look beautiful. But I always make sure that their straight one arm is the main shape that they train because your, your center of gravity has to be in such a specific place that there's, there's such a fine line for margin of error. So if they can mm-hmm. do a straight one minute, uh, if they can do a straight one arm uh, with their hand by, th- by their side for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, they're going to be able to do straddle by yeah. default. Yeah, and they, yeah, by and pro- they almost. And if they've got to perform that in an, in a, in front of an audience, you want to you almost like we make training harder than what we've got to actually perform. So that yeah, we you never perform your hardest skill. You, you perform the ones that you can do comfortably, but you train the hardest skills possible. I guess. Yeah. I just wanted to throw in the mix like this, the the difference you, you mentioned about, about like um, you had loads of play in your training and then you didn't make as much progress. So you put some more structure back in, but then you did play with a few different shapes. And mm. um, the I feel like there's, there's this, to use a handstand term, I feel like it's a bit of a gag, but like we need to find that balance yeah. in terms of our training that is individual to us or the person that we're working with a coach and i think that what happens so often is we find someone we find out what works for us Hmm. and then we can often think well that was right and then it's like because what what we're often because people ask questions all the time like what's the right way to do x or what's the right way to learn this we're looking for this a bit like the perfect thing we're looking for what's the perfect and we're looking Hmm. for what's right and actually some structure and it's going to change for different people as they evolve yeah. and in different as you grow and you've you've priorities change or even just the type of thing that you're learning that um putting more or less structure in more or less play in and actually experimenting with that and this mm. is for people at home that experimenting with that because if you've never had 
much play or structure sure. one of those two sides yeah. of things if they're the two opposite if you've never had one of those two things in your training you'll never know it might not be you might be on the right path you might be on the thing that's perfect for you but until you try something else in an experiment you're never going to know whether actually oh actually that might be that bit might be quite good or yeah for when i'm yeah. trying to do x um it helps if I have a bit more play or actually it helps if I have a bit more structure. Like you said, I've recently for myself, I've gone from um, when I played rugby, everything was very structured and we were told what to do and training was this and it was all this many reps, this many sets, turn up for this session here, we've got the game at this time and you know, the, everything mm. was about structure and everything was about the game plan. There was no point of the game plan, it was just like, just do what you want. It was yeah, like, of course. here's the structure. Yeah. And so what I, one of the things I loved about calisthenics when I started, even though we were absolutely rubbish when we started, was that there's just this freedom to like, we weren't counting reps and sets, we were just playing yeah. about initially yeah, at the start. Sure. And I think a lot of my uh, slower progression in certain things has been around not realising that I need to dial a little bit back of some structured things to allow me to do what you said know how if something is getting better or not so yeah. a little bit of structure of like mini goals and things for me allow me to go well actually not only be focused on the thing i'm working on but to go well, actually last week i did x and now i can do x plus one yeah and, of and, course and having yeah. that little bit of guidance for myself um, by what i find difficult as you said coaching yourself you d- you decided to do what do you what yeah. do you your students do because they make very good coaching yeah. yourself as a coach is difficult i think that's always yeah. i think of, if you can coach yourself well you, you, you're doing pretty well yeah um, but often people that we coach can end up be doing an awful lot better than we do which is oh, fine because that's actually and part, I think of, it's, part it's and parcel sign of, of it that's the core cool i love it. doing it i love seeing when a yeah. student like kind of does something that's just ridiculous <laughs> um but just to, like go back to what you're saying like i think we need we need micro achievements so that yeah. when we achieve them, it gives us that, that reward that we need because if you're just punishing yourself the whole time, you just feel like crap. Like yeah. these students I have at Circa Media, I, I always say to them, you're not, you are not your discipline. You are not your circus yeah. discipline. You are whatever the name is first, your Leo or Katagina first. This is who you are that your skill is simply an extension of what you do. So if you're having a bad day, you're still you. We still love you for you being you, but don't worry about having a bad day. But I think what I found, the the beautiful thing I found about being more structured in my training and more disciplined in my training is that when I played with my friends, it opened up this incredible world of stuff that I could do. Like I was so strict for two years on just doing a straight one-arm handstand that people would be like, hey, try this shape. And I'd be like, wow, this feels so good because I don't have to worry about my technique so much. I can let my legs go in whatever direction I want. And have you read the book uh, Bounce by Matthew side side he does this yeah know, yeah, yeah, yeah i haven't read it but it was i had a, it was a book that was it was on the choice of answers, answers. Yeah. <laughs> he does that he talks about this um this uh server they got some violinists to do didn't they like a, a, a music school where they basically got uh, they separated the the best violinists into three categories and basically worked out how much the they put them into categories of kind of like people who would be like world-class violinists, people who'd be like world-class teachers and people who are really good, but not like particularly amazing at either. And it was, it was simply down to how much private practice they did to how much social practice they did. Mm. 
So I used to socially train all the time. I used to love social training, but it was just playing. So I didn't, and I think it's so important that I noticed that my progression was slower. Whereas now I try and train on my own in a gym. Uh, but I allow myself to train with my students or with my friends, which gives me that freedom to kind of enjoy it. So I think, you've, like you said, you've got to get the, the balance of self, self-practice self and social practice, I think. Yeah, I think that, re- that resonates a lot with what we've been talking about at the moment because we've had a similar conversation around um, strength and getting strength work done. And we started using a phrase around sort of strength and abundance or surplus strength. And it, I was playing around with some Tiger Bend push-ups last week and I, I hadn't done a lot recently. I hadn't, I hadn't drilled the skill component of it, but I've done a lot of strength work recently. So when I'm going through that, that transition phase i'm not thinking about mm. am i strong enough to push out of the bottom that's sure. not a concern i've got them i've got the freedom to play in it and i can actually turn my attention to the variables that need controlling rather than being like yeah, yeah. Oh, i don't know i'm worried about pushing out and controlling the balance position so i think it's the same in terms of whether that's a skill component you want to do more high level skills is you need to you need to not be stretching the limit of your your ability uh, or, or enhancing uh, the breadth of your, your variability uh, within that so uh, that you can then go on. And, and the, the, the really exciting thing about that for most people is that becomes a real point of self-discovery because you're not expecting it to transfer over. Like I almost surprised myself last week that I did it so easily. <laughs> but then you dial it back and you're going, oh yeah, it's because I've, I've kind of played around the edges. So my handstand, yeah. my, my straight handstand balance has become better. I've invested some time in it so that when I'm pushing out into it, it's in a less than perfect position. Sure. I've got more opportunity i've got more control mm, strategies mm. and i can then i can tie in whereas if you're if you're borderline then things fall apart and you don't complete the skill so i think yeah, it's it, it goes to that point of, of um of yeah being okay with breadth um within that and just yeah variability and, and then but bringing play like we did a session today with another coach and it was just play just messing about but we played a lot at the beginning didn't we and we were like we actually need to knuckle down and do some work how did you find that, that was, though did you find did you find that when you were playing you you still progressed or do you think that it was kind of well we were new we, to it yeah, we, 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 we were so bad because we were new <laughs> so it was like <laughs> we literally learned how to do a human flag by playing and it, it was like that thing of like anything you do if you're not good at anything is going to help get better, like we were yeah. going to get to a point where like sure, whatever yeah. we did was better like, like I could give a complete novice a, a weights program and they'd never lifted weights before they're going to get stronger yeah, so of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we were coming from rugby and doing stuff that we'd never done so our neural system was like this is amazing yeah. like, let's learn <laughs> yeah. some stuff um, and then we got to a point where like mm, we've kind of maxed that out now we probably need to go and do a little bit of something else yeah. which is where the play kind of started to take a bit of second fiddle to actually for us primarily strength work yeah I think okay, it's one sure. of those things that I wouldn't necessarily like I wouldn't if we could go back again and for my for my own self I wouldn't change what we did even though I would yeah. I'd be able to change things to make us progress faster but why is how fast I progress the variable that I'm um, uh, valuing success? Because actually what I want to do as a coach is I want, to fig- I want to know all the things that you don't want to do as well as the things that yeah. you want to do because that then yeah. helps me coach the person yeah. to actually speed up their pro- uh, the progression. But at the same time, almost challenge them. Why is everyone in such a rush to get to the end progression? Because as you said when you get there what are you going to do yeah your happiness and your identity is not going to be wrapped up in you or wrapping it up in you being the one arm handstand guy yeah. isn't going to give you because whatever I remember the the podcast we had with um, I'm going to forget his name now uh, the Colombian uh, Rafe no 
Hansen, Alice, Nino. Alice Nino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Nino, when yeah. I loved when he went, it was like this. Uh, at some point, like at some point in your life, you're not going to be able to do a one arm handstand anymore, <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to do a flag. <laughs> and was, but like we do, it's like what? He's like, yeah, it might be when you're 85 years uh, old because yeah, yeah, you're still yeah. going to be a badass when you're 80. Yeah. But there's going to be a point yeah. where we can't, and we have to be like. We have to accept that. And we've got to be comfortable with that. And it, I think some of that takes a bit of the pressure off a lot, a lot of that's from the guys that you're girls that you're working with is potentially a lot of pressured environment because of they've got to then go and do a performance. Yeah. But there's people who, you know, we don't have to go and do a performance no. anymore, but we still yeah. put pressure on ourselves and it's everyone out there. We, in, in our training, but in other areas of our life as well, we, we put undue pressure on ourselves sometimes to, um, I guess to try and help us perform, if you like, yeah. but even though we don't have to uh, perform, and the, the the value and the the enrichment of the of a journey that is potentially a longer process and not the fastest progression, you're going to learn more about you, your body, and and completely. actually what works and what doesn't. Yeah, um, so I'm just in, I'm I'm on board with just encouraging people with that rather than it worries me now when someone asks when the question is what's the best way or fastest way to do this yeah it's like i don't know that you, like I, we can give you what we think yeah. is the best but i don't there know that that's no actually the best thing for you to this stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's like, even even some of the skills that i've been able to do for three years man some days i get days where i can't do it like kicking up to handstands hard and like this is the problem with social media and this is the trap that i fall into and like you know, I had a really unhealthy relationship with social media, even like two years ago, even a year and a half ago. And I had to kind of step back from it big time and just be like, I am not going to give this so much of my time because I was just comparing myself to, and the thing is though, this is what's amazing. Like I've trained with, I've got friends who are world class, like the best. And if you see them train, they still fall over. <laughs> they yeah. still then like there are there are maybe two people i've heard of in the world who people have been like i've trained with them and they just do not go over you could try and push them over but they don't go over <laughs> but most of the people like we you know social media is dangerous like and the other thing that's, that i find with handstands i was really because I, I i wanted to get more into coaching about three years ago I kind of fell into that realm of if I make myself look like I can do amazing things, people will then think I am also a good coach, which is a big trap that people fall into. If someone's good at something, are they necessarily a good, good coach? And mm. you know, that's not true at all. Yeah. I think yeah. It's, it's part of that conversation around like, um, showcasing what you can do and, and that's for, for us like we, we're very upfront about how we coach and we'll put coaching videos out daily because yeah. that's what we are we're, we're trying to help people to, to get on board with it and I think that's it has to it is this, it's inspiring for people to know they're being taught by somebody who can do it yeah. um, but you've got to back that up in a, in a coaching sense of um, can you actually break this process down and communicate yeah. it in a way like we the technical thing of these are technical points you need to do like I relate it back to my strength and conditioning career you might get somebody who comes in who's got four massive and two PhDs well if you can't communicate that information to 20 rugby guys and get them to back squat you're not a good coach yeah exactly it's, so it, that, that combination of actually being able to communicate it and break it down for people in a way they can rebuild it themselves is, is mm. like that's number one and then yeah. like which is why people which is why so many people trust you because your videos are people going I've just done my first muscle up I've just done for this and 
I always tell people, if you want to judge a coach by their ability to teach, look at their students and not their mm. own personal practice. Yeah, what are their yeah. students doing? What are they, what are they yeah, achieving? Yeah. Because if they don't have students, and there are a lot of hand balances out there who are coaches, and I never see any of their... And this isn't a judgment. This is just plain fact. If I don't mm. see their students... I can't say I can't recommend that person as a good coach because yeah, they yeah. might be, but I'm not seeing the the results of their students. Yeah, yeah. I think you, well, you open. We, we we can delve into a little bit of like uh, social media stuff because I think it'd be interesting conversation. Um, I've got a like, question. Is it is now a good oh, time uh, to put it in before you move on or not? If we do, I, well, yeah. I was going to do hand, we can do handsons at the end. I just okay. we're on that we're on that flow and like the. Um, Write it down. <laughs> uh, uh, it's written down. Yeah. yeah, but there's, there's. I feel, or we feel that there's a, there is a responsibility to being real. And you know, if someone came down and watched our sessions today, people in the gym would see everything that we're doing. They would see all the times that we fell over. And actually, we put a load of them on uh, on on stories today because we yeah, want wow. to be. There's a there's there's a like you said, a responsibility to be, um, to be real. And rather than you can on Instagram, pick and choose what you put up. Of course you can. Um, and, but that you like you said, that can start to generate some sort of dangerous, like gaps or issues around what people, other people are thinking, perceiving, and then comparing is a massive problem, but comparing ourselves to others was around way before, Instagram and social media oh, yeah, was around, yeah, it's but it's been. just one of those things that can get highlighted and fueled a little bit faster. But you just then saying, um, being very real and going, um, so well, sometimes even trying to kick up to handstand feels bad. I was like, I wanted to go, Tim, did you hear that? <laughs> guys, you seen how amazing his handstands and he can actually, when you sometimes falls over, I was like, that makes me feel, but it makes it's that, it's that freeing, yeah, isn't it? It's that releasing. Yeah. And like sometimes people go, oh, like send us a message. Oh, it's, it's inspiring that you, if you could, because they've, they've seen that I couldn't do a whatever or Tim couldn't do whatever. And then they can see they can do it now. And it's like, all right, well, they might not even be working on the same thing, but it's just that idea of like, one, it's okay to not be able to do that thing on some days or even at the beginning, whatever. But then two, actually, if you follow some sort of process and we've yeah. already talked about whether it's structure, play, whatever, but it's just some sort of process and be consistent and just do something towards the goal that you want to work on, then you're going to make some improvement. And that's, yeah. and that's what's cool. I think we all like learning. We all like improving at things and it makes mm, us feel good. Mm, um, mm. Hand is so humbling. Like yeah. they are... So like when you guys will sort out, like we said last year about you guys doing a workshop in Bristol, we need to get that sorted, but mm. let's train and you will, I, so today on my Instagram stories this morning, I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to share all the mistakes I did. I didn't put any of the good, I had a pretty good session, but I just shared all of the handstands of me falling over. And there was loads. I only shared up like five, but I fell out of loads of handstands today. And last week, the last session I had, I was like, man. I'm so good at handstands. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I am so good. And then this week, it's hard. Like, and you know, I've got no excuse. I slept really well. Elisha slept like eight hours last night. And I'm like, whoa, I feel good. I've had my coffee, good breakfast, went training. <laughs> and I was rubbish. Like, they're so humbling. And I think that's part of the addiction of why people do handstands, isn't it? Like, because we mm. love chasing it. We love chasing the idea of when it works. And it's, yeah. it's kind of euphoric. You get that glimmer of hope, don't you? Yeah, you do. And you're like, like oh, someone this, is, that, this is so yeah. good. You try again, you're like, ah. Oh. I remember the first time I did a one-handed handstand in straight uh, in front of my friends, and I did it for like 15 seconds. And I came down, I was like, I've worked it out. 
I know what I've been doing wrong. I kicked up and I fell out. <laughs> I thought I'd cracked it. I thought I'd cracked it. And I was like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> this yeah. feeds on perfectly actually to the question I wanted to ask. So it was a good job yeah. I, didn't, I didn't do earlier. But we, we have those moments which are super inspiring. We're like, I've got it. And you're on fire and you, your training couldn't be better. And you, you walk down the street outside the gym and you are, <laughs> you are like kindling, <laughs> Like you've, you've got it. But then there's also times when a handstand, when you're in that sort of like that second phase of skill acquisition, that associative phase where you're trying to plug it together and you're rep after rep after rep and we get a lot of people that find themselves in that space of not making progress feeling like they're going backwards a little bit what do i do next tell me this secret progression that i've got to do because i don't know there's something they normally point to their hips there's something here yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's what are your sort of, yeah yeah exactly yeah what are your sort of have you got a couple or two or three messages that you give to people in that phase of where it feels hard and you're entrenched in some work and you're not getting better and can you just touch on that because we just all then joked about that oh it's McCourt and you went it's McCourt <laughs> because some, there'll be some people listening they're going yeah no, I'm pretty sure it is McCourt um, but yeah. just like just marry just tag that I'll, onto I'll, the I'll, end of I'll just touch on I'll probably touch on that one first actually because well it's fresh okay. in my head uh yeah is is it your core in a handstand uh your body and your midsection and your bum and your hips and everything being engaged is different in my opinion to core strength you can keep your body purely engaged but for me in my head handstands are your shoulders and your ability to remain engagement through the midsection and being able to breathe people say i lost balance because i let my core go no you lost balance because you breathe then when you breathe through your diaphragm your belly relaxes so you need to learn to breathe we i teach breathing into the top of your back so keeping the breath really high which is obviously right. you don't do that but it's a visual cue so you don't let it sink really low mm-hmm. um so it, but handstands are like some hand balances are like phew, people doing dish and hollow body for handstands is so ridiculous i'm like no it's, it's not because you're teaching someone how to engage that posture. And if they can't do it on the floor, they're not going to be able to do it upside down. Yeah, like certainly. I used to say, like, it doesn't matter if you've gone to uh, Cambridge or Oxford, when you're upside down, you're stupid. Like you don't, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? You don't, you don't, yeah. you don't. Opposite know. land, isn't it? Yeah. Your left is your right it, and yeah. all yeah. that jazz. So I think that follows on to like the, the, the question you just asked previously, like advice I'd give it. Advice I'd give beginners is completely different to ones I'd give like at an intermediate level. If someone's a beginner, um, I tell them it doesn't matter what your handstand looks like until you can do a 30 second handstand. I don't care how banana it is. I don't under, I don't care if your knees are bent or any of this kind of stuff because I teach that uh, alignment and balance uh, are two different ends of the spectrum and you marry them together as your endurance increases. So it's really important. If I get a new person coming to a handstand, uh, I've had someone coming to my class for last month because they've been going to uh, a big organization who do do handstands. And uh, he was saying that the coach- It's not a school of calisthenics, is it? No, no, definitely not. No, 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 no. It's down down this end. He said the coach was really good looking. (laughs) Two of them, actually. You guys were too distracting. Um, uh, and they they basically said that in the class that they went to they were so specific it was more like gymnastics orientated if the the line was broken at all the coach would make them come down and it's about it's a very gymnastic mindset of like you hit that straight line if it's not perfect you come down 
well, what happens? Someone comes two weeks, three weeks, they don't have very good shoulder mobility, they might have lower back pain, they might they not have no idea how to engage in midsection, and they quit. And that is rubbish. And I used to be that kind of person. Oh, teaching this, wrong alignment, da 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 da. And actually, like it's nonsense. Like let someone experience what just that success of balancing, even for a few seconds, feels like. And you you celebrate with them, wow, you just did three four, five seconds on your own. Your shape might have been minging, but like... <laughs> yeah, but, they're, exactly, but when they're excited as well, you can't just shoot, to shoot yeah. them down when... If you've never balanced on your hands before, we had a message from someone this week, uh, or yesterday actually, he sent a video, he'd, he'd, oh, he'd sent a video, but like he couldn't... You know, if someone's tagged on stories after 24 hours, yeah. you can't see it, so I'd miss it. I asked him, oh, what was it that you shared? He was like, oh, it was just... A, uh, I was pretty excited, but it was a crappy hands actually when I look back at it. But I, I felt like I was balancing for ages. It was like, well, I think it was a second. But when I watched back on the video, and I felt amazing. When I watched the video back, it actually looked like absolutely nothing. But <laughs> he had that feeling of that yeah. second yeah. for the first time. And it's almost like rather than just going up and falling over, you go up, you make a tiny correction from somewhere. Yeah. Like, you yeah. don't even know what's going on. Yeah. And then you come back down and be like, but I, d- I did something. You felt yeah. it. And I always say that first second upside down feels like a lifetime when it's you've euphoric. never done it before. It's so incredible, yeah. that feeling. It's just like, it's just like, yeah. And like, I think what's really nice is a second is really achievable for anyone who's new to handstands. Like you can mm. get someone feeling like they're, they're kind of doing yeah. it on their own by how you spot them. Um, and I think just like, yeah, I take the pressure off them because I hate it. I, I get people come to like beginners classes all the time who might be new and they're, tell, they're spotting someone and they're saying, oh, ribs in, oh, posteropelvic tilt, yeah, oh, yeah, elevate yeah. shoulders. And I'm like, no, just let them balance. Engage your pelvic floor. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I had that one from once. Engage once your core, once really, it. did you? Engage your pelvic, pelvic floor. floor. Yeah. Yeah. The lady was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Is this antenatal? And, she, she came back, and came straight back down. It, funnily enough, it didn't help the balance. Oh, really? And like, I just, then when someone can hit a 30 second handstand, I find that when someone hits a 30 second handstand between 30 seconds and a minute, their body starts to find the most efficient line itself because it knows it needs to stay there for a long period of time and having a mm. huge banana isn't sustainable for your body. So your body actually, what I found, and I don't know, I haven't done a study on it, what I've found is as people practice their endurance, by default, their line starts to increase as well, whether that be confidence or just the the repetition of being upside down and knowing how, because I still do drills with them, like hollow body drills Mm. and war drills and shape drills and this kind of stuff. So I don't know if it's that, but I found that actually, you don't see many people who do a minute handstand who have really, really bad technique. Because yeah. There must be some of it, like you and Tim was talking before about the strength and abundance. Yeah. There's got to be something of like balance and abundance. Like if you can hold it for 30, so if you can only hold it for five seconds or three seconds, sure. and then you're trying to straighten up your alignment into what's a more difficult position to balance, but might be more efficient for endurance, yeah. then you've, you've, you've got no scope to do that. Yeah, exactly. Once you can do it for 30 seconds, 40 seconds, you've got more leeway to then straighten things up, which is from a balance perspective harder, but you can balance already for 35 seconds. 
with a poor yeah. position. So you've, you've got that leeway. I think there's yeah. got to be something. I think that's a really good point. That. And a combination of those things that go like, the, my first point is like, let's give the brain some credit. Like if it's going to be exposed <laughs> yeah. to standing, like you don't stand around like, a, like your brain knows that you're better off actually standing straight is probably a bit easier. Yeah. But also having the time and attention in those positions means that you are, you're, you're gradually increasing like let's talk about the myelin pathway of actually going we're neurally connecting this better now so we're actually then able to play a little yeah. bit at the fringes yeah. and each week it's fringe 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 yeah. it brings up but that comes as a result of time on attention but time I love that you say that because that'd be so freeing for people that go <laughs> you know what it hasn't got to be perfect and no one does their first 20 30 second or even five second handstand perfect it doesn't happen no. I've been in gymnastics centers and seen young girls on performance programs and they've got a proper banana Mm. and that's the gymnasts like method of doing it. Yeah. If I can tap in that, I used to be a gymnastics coach and uh, the way, the way you teach gymnastics children is the same. They, they come in and they do a five second handstand and it's horrible, but you're like, man, the excitement in their face, you've got to be a monster to be like, yeah, but (laughs) you're a, your, your pelvic floor wasn't engaged in that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you, well, how just did you, let, know? That's what... you just let them celebrate it. And like yeah. the, 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 the idea is so hard because actually handstands are a bit of a rabbit hole. The deeper you go down, um, what do they say? It's like the first like 30% you get for free. And then it starts as you get better. It yeah. starts to become more heady. And sometimes, man, I just want to go and do some banana handstand somewhere. <laughs> That's an interesting point. I wanted to get your thoughts on actually, because I, I, let's label it in terms of like, we, there are people who will criticize if a handstand is not perfectly straight. And this is a conversation we again had in the gym today, but I think it's really interesting because if it's, and I'll leave my thoughts out and we can I'll pick them after because you just get your raw mm-hmm. ideas. But like, let's talk, what's the difference between a banana handstand, a straight handstand, or then what if we're trying to do a scorpion handstand or a hollow body? Mm. Like they're all contextual okay, yeah. versions of a skill. Yeah. Whereas some people will say one of those is wrong, should never do that, it's dangerous. Whereas one of them is right and actually celebrated as an advanced level of, of handstand yeah, mastery. Sure. What, what do you think about that? So banana handstand, the only reason I... If someone wants to just do handstands, they can do it however they want. But I find mostly if people do banana handstands, they start complaining about lower back pain. That's the only reason yeah. I'm like, right, let's try and fix this because like you, it's because you're hinging probably on one singular vertebrae <laughs> and your back's just like really freaking out with this. But if you wanted to go to like advanced shapes, uh, you the, the straight handstand has to be a requirement, but it doesn't have to be a perfect handstand. It just needs to be a straight handstand. Uh, my straight handstand side on is actually slightly piped and my shoulders are closed and I don't care because I can do everything that I'm working towards. You know? Cause you're a handstand badass. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's just like, it's also like people talk about pu- the elevation and like pushing up to max. But if you push up to max, you, you've got nothing left. You're fried. So I get my students like to push up to like 80% mm. and like keep 20% kind of for their own, like, uh, for, for just like being able to maintain that shape because if you push up to 100% you're just you're just wrecked um, yeah. but I think when you come uh, a lot of kind of the high level really high level kind of American calisthenics guys they start when they start doing their one arm handstands I don't know if you notice but they kind of do like flags 
which is mm. kind of in one arm, uh, in hand, hand balance, we call it flags, where like your center of gravity is so far over your point of balance, you're almost yeah. doing like a human flag on the bar, but on one arm. And they're still balancing it. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Like they can still yeah. balance it. Like who am I to say that it's wrong? Like they're still winning competitions. They're still world recognized. I can't mm. do the shape they're doing. But what I've come to understand is for the longevity of my shoulder, I want to try and make the technique as efficient as possible for my body. Do you know what I mean? It's more like yeah, yeah. my body doesn't feel nice if I train loads of flags, nor does it feel nice if I train loads of Mexicans. And a lot of students who I have who train a lot of Mexicans who actually train... What, just, what's a Mexican? A Mexican is like a banana handstand taken South to American. the extreme. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like where they yeah. bring their feet just off the floor. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. They'll do that for a few years and they'll be like, damn, my lower back is sore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like you yeah, can yeah. learn to do it with proper technique and there's better technique, but you're still putting that small little hinge, that hinge of your hips under a ridiculous amount of tension. Yeah, pressure. I think it's a great a great answer because it's it's that point of like you have to earn the right to go and layer add more advanced skills on top so like yeah. if you can move in that it's not wrong to move in spinal extension right. but you have to earn the right to go and do that in a handstand shape and have the mobility so it's not painful mm. and it's safe yeah. um, and that's where I think you're moving for away from a banana handstand okay play with more advanced things and you're right it's, it's kind of like a not like just throw like a curveball but it's it's understanding the context isn't it it's like I think what you've mm. done there is covered a great spectrum of the handstand journey so it is okay to, at some point just to start to feel some success in your handstand and if you want to go to some more advanced stuff well that's we need to go through a phase of getting better so that we can then go and play around with some other shapes but understand that that, that is a journey yeah and i think like you just said like pain but the majority of the conversation has been around sort of like not necessarily things being black and white right and wrong but yeah pain is normally a bit of a marker as like you maybe move you may be doing something that's not right and we should yeah. definitely listen out for that and it's whether it's a handstand position, a back position, or whether it's yeah. um, a muscle up, mm. and it's the, the reason why people might not like to have one shoulder going over than the other, mm. is that we're potentially putting the head of that human in a bad position and going to just yeah. mash away, irritate off, which we don't want because yeah. it's going to be painful. So yeah. just if people are listening and things are painful, then rather than going, oh, well, these guys just said I can do whatever I want, there's, mm. no, there's no right and wrong. But if you're feeling pain, you should probably listen yeah. uh, to our body and think about is am I actually, is there a better technique, like you said, yeah. a better technique that's more comfortable and certainly pain-free? Um, yeah. And, and there's kind of like, there's pain of first starting a new exercise. Like your shoulders are going to be sore, your wrists are going to be sore if you do a lot of handstands. And so there's stuff that your body adapts to. So I usually say if people at Circa Media, if they come in and they want to specialize in handstanding, their wrists are going to be sore for like three to six months. Um, there's a difference between soreness from being worked and pain because there is something, a, a technique, yeah, something aspect, wrong, something wrong. So yeah. we need, you need to look and as a coach go, oh man, actually like your shoulder isn't on top of your, your balancing on your point of balance. So that might be causing some problem in, in you know what I mean? It's my job to yeah. go, ah, oh, this is probably yeah, why, but I usually see, Funny enough, a lot of people come to handstand, handstand classes with wrist pain and within a few months they don't have wrist pain, which is really, that's amazing. I love seeing that. But I, yeah. I've only ever had one, one student, two students who do handstands who have carried on to have, have wrist pain out mm. of the multi that I've taught. And one of them simply 
was an aerialist who did loads of aerial. So they they pinned it down to kind of repetitive strain injury from doing the aerial uh, silks as opposed to handstands. And one just had really bad wrist flexion, just had no no mobility in their wrist, even like mm-hmm. static. So. I feel like it would be wrong to have got you on the podcast, Jonathan, and not talked about how you can help Jacko with his single arm handstand, oh, which has actually gone off the board okay. a little bit recently. You haven't done a lot of work on it, have you? Yeah, recently yeah done I've stopped, stopped recently. What but, is, um, um, there'll be somebody here who goes, seen your name on the podcast and gone, right, this is going to be a little bit lesson about single arm handstands. And we spent 45 minutes talking about coaching philosophy and handstand <laughs> yeah. like training process. So we, let's get to the, uh, let's get to the nuts and bolts of what you are, sort of the skills that you put on show um, that people will may well know you by from, from your hand balancing. What is the process towards a hand, a single arm handstand? And uh, if people want to get started on it, what are the potential pitfalls and things that they need to yeah, know? Because there'll be a number of people that have learned how to do a handstand. They can hold yeah. it for how long they feel is an appropriate length of time and they're thinking oh well the next step after after two is one yeah um uh the fastest way to one arm then the longest Just way your <laughs> best tips your best tips so the the most effective way to get a one arm is the most uh it's the least popular way to get a one arm and that's the it the way someone is going to get a one arm, in my personal opinion, is not taking the finger off for about six weeks. So they transfer, they bring the weight over, and you're going to build up. This is, this is some free training for anyone who's watching this. This is what I take <laughs> my students through uh, when they start working towards one-handed handstand. It's easy if you've got a spot, but um, I learned without a spot, it just took me longer. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's still possible, yeah. but you just it, it can be more frustrating. Transfer, so say for example, you're going over your right arm, there's a tempo that needs to be followed because it's like a, it's like a, a tick list. Uh, when you're teaching someone to muscle up, you teach them to pull up and then the kind of the headbutt through the rings and then through, there's like a tick list. If they do one stage before the other, then yeah. they can come down and go, ah, oh, I didn't do this stage. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So if you're in a two-handed handstand, the first thing is to work on your two-handed endurance, which sucks. Everyone hates working on two-handed endurance. <laughs> try, and, try and get that as high as possible because the higher you get your personal best, kind of by default, your your average increases as well, just from the amount of repetitions it takes. So try and, and what's get... Your- an, what's, a, what's a number that you, someone might... Not that it's a definitive, but just a guide of like where someone so might want I to st- try... I started learning to one arm when I could only do an inconsistent 10 second handstand, which is why it took me so long. It took me years. Mm. I would say 30 seconds, you can start doing the, the exercises of a hand, uh, towards one arm. I say you want to get your handstand up to a minute and a half, a minute to a minute and a half. A minute is such yeah. a big milestone for people to crack. And it, if you know you can kick them to a handstand for a minute, you know every time you go into a handstand, you're going to hit that handstand because you mm. can do a minute. Do you see what I mean? It's kind of like, yeah, you know, yeah. and still you have bad days, but like, yeah. Um, but when you're doing one arm handstand, first off, equally work both shoulders because for years I just did my right arm and still my left arm is trailing behind. And uh, <laughs> like you can actually physics, physic, you could see the physically the imbalance in my body. Like I just had this huge <laughs> raised right <laughs> shoulder. I looked like the hunchback in Notre Dame. Um, so the tempo is you first look towards your hand to set your mind that I'm transitioning over to this, to this arm. You elevate through the shoulder 
and there's a there's an external rotation through the through the humerus. So it's like it's a push and it's a screw motion. Screw. Mm, yeah. Push and screw. Because by doing that, you kind of like you just engage the pec minor, and it kind of locks it into shape, and it just makes it feel a bit a bit a uh, bit more a bit more solid. I kind of call it floaty arm syndrome, where you see hand balancers doing this, and their their arm is kind of like wailing all over the place. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so you want to make sure there's that engagement. I would say the elevation is more important than the external rotation. So I don't, for me, I think more about elevation, pushing up through the shoulder, not letting it drop more than I do mm. the external rotation. I then bring my hips over because what you get a lot of times people learning to one arm, they bring the legs over, but their hips are still in the same place. So their center of gravity, if you imagine there's a red dot between uh, in the middle of your two hands when you're doing a two-handed handstand, the red dot wants to move over towards your thumb when you're doing a one-handed yeah. handstand. So you need to envision that your belly button is what I think about is coming over my thumb and um, I elevate through the shoulders and then you want to get a bit of that kind of flag motion that we were speaking about earlier. You want to drop the lower leg, elevate through the yeah. shoulders. So in the way I teach it is you want to have 90% of the weight on the balancing arm before you lift the fingertips. Yeah. The most common thing that I see people that do wrong is the lack of engagement between their legs. And you can see this by if you watch their toes, because if their toes are kind of going in and out, it shows that they're usually their, their legs can have a bit more engagement, have a bit more tension through them. What happens is people go onto fingertips and you'll see their legs go soft because they'll start trying to balance with their legs. And you want to make sure that you train yourself to just balance with your hand no no elbow no no shoulder all the balance should come from the hand you transition the weight across and you go onto your fingertips and you want to build up to 10 sets of 10 seconds on fingertips um, and you want to try and lower uh, to reduce the number of fingers that you have balancing so you're eventually doing 10 sets of 10 seconds on one finger uh, so say for example you're on your fifth set and you go one two three and you fall over you get back up and you go five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You finish the set. Mm. So yeah. it doesn't matter how many repetitions it takes. You just want to do the 10 sets of 10 seconds. Once you have got the 10, second, 10 sets of 10 seconds on each arm, you want to start doing the same exercise in the full position because what's really interesting if you watch people when they... A lot of people learn to one arm in straddle because it's the easiest shape to learn in because it, your center of gravity is so much lower than in the full position. If you watch someone doing a transfer who's, relative, who's learning to one-arm handstand in a full position, you'll see this kind of rotation in their hips, this yes. kind of external rotation, and their hips will start like twisting away. And like, do you follow Yuval, who's a hand balancer in Israel? Don't think so, no. Yuval on hands, who's a bit of a... We follow 7,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> he could be. A... He, calls it, he calls it the innate twist. So the body's always going to have a bit of that, that twist in the full position because it's just the way the body's going to learn to balance. But you just want to make sure that it's not twisting mm. too much. So you want to really think about... I talk about grid lines between your shoulders and your hips. So if I'm balancing on my right arm, my left hip will probably start twisting. So I want to connect my left hip to my right yeah. shoulder and pull it across and yeah. squeeze the grid, the grid lines across to make sure that engagement is same. Because what people do is they'll take their arm off and people, everyone starts to do this. Everyone twists a little bit when they learn, but they'll take their arm off and they'll start to rotate yeah. outwards. And it's because they've lost that connection between the mm. grid lines. Yeah. So by doing in the straight position and with my students, I make 
the full position uh, 80% of their training uh, because it, you can't cheat it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you yeah, have to yeah. be so strict. I think it's from, the thing that you, when you go from do anyone, when we're doing a, a double-handed handstand, you know, yeah. bilateral position, you got, you don't have to fight rotation. All no. you're worried, all you ever do when you lose your balance in a handstand is you either go over the top or you come back down. Yeah. You might go, you might choose to bail out to the side, but you're not, doesn't really happen. Because you have those two bilateral points of, of contact on the floor. When you take one hand off, you're now, when we're on one point, there is a spinning element yeah. that we have to then control. And anyone that's has tried and even just messed about it, you, you literally just feel that straight away and you have that, that impossible way of going, how on earth does yeah. somebody <laughs> manage to control yeah. this yeah. rotation? Yeah. It feels yeah. impossible. That's where the redefining impossible comes, but... Um, but especially yeah. like it feels it's a heavy movement um you like when your legs start turning like i'm six foot i'm six six foot one six foot two and like so when i've got really long legs so if i'm feeling tired and my legs start to turn there is nothing i can do in my body to stop my legs turning mm. so like such a long leverage point it's just so it's so hard yeah. you see so yeah. like you want to try and drill that into the technique straight away i'd say so jonathan thank you so much for being on the podcast and giving us so much um tips and insight into how we can improve all of our, our hand balancing and just sharing in some of the the i thought was really interesting the the journey and philosophy as a coach you've been on yourself through all those different movement practices uh, that you've done if people want to find out a little bit more and they don't already follow you um where, where's the best place to to get in contact with you and and find out what you're up to uh, Instagram is probably the only platform that I use at the moment and that's, that's Jonathan underscore last great we'll put that in the uh, we'll put that in the show notes so people can just click straight onto it um, if if people have got any questions for Jonathan do get in contact with him um, on Instagram I'm sure he'd, he'd love to be able to uh, help you out with uh, any questions about hand balancing or anything else that we've, we've discussed and uh, do also let us know um, what you thought of the podcast Jonathan in particular would love it if you'd go over and give us a five star rating on iTunes for the podcast wouldn't you John? Absolutely go and do it <laughs> so um, yeah no that's uh, that's if you could yeah if you if you let us know what you thought of it particularly on in, we're both very active on instagram uh, and so let us know what you thought of the podcast and uh, we look forward to hearing your feedback so who did who could have thought of three guys could spend over an hour talking about handstands <laughs> let's be honest show. when you come to bristol we'll get some cider <laughs> just hours <laughs> that m- might be the perfect day <laughs> you do a handstand drum? <laughs> uh, we're gonna try <laughs> so amazing nothing else to say but jonathan thanks so much for being on the podcast Absolutely until perfect. next week class dismissed